0: Hi everyone and welcome to New Hope Community Church. My name is Ian Buckley. And I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. We're so glad that you came and joined us today. I want to welcome you to 40 Days of Prayer, which is our spiritual growth focus at the beginning of this year, where we focus intently on prayer. Today, I want to start with an insightful thought and comment by A.W. Tozer. He wrote this. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it affects everything else in your life. So it's extremely important that you know the real God, not some imaginary God. And the trouble is if you have misconceptions about God, prayer can be perceived as a duty or it can be perceived as a routine or drudgery. Or something I must do or should do. And I've found, I don't know about you, that motivation by guilt only lasts as long as guilt lasts. So you don't guilt yourself into praying. And God doesn't want you to pray out of guilt. You've got to have the right concept of God. So to get that right concept, we need to destroy and pull down some of the misconceptions we have about God. So on your outline, your understanding of what God is really like shapes everything in your life, including how you pray. So what is God really like? Well, God has many characteristics. For example, he's all-knowing, that is omniscient. You've probably heard that word before. He's all-powerful, which is omnipotent. He's got all the power. He's omnipresent. That means he can be everywhere at the same time. He's not limited in time and distance. Now the Bible tells us that God is also holy, he is just, God is kind, he is loving, and he is faithful. Notice this next verse on your outline from Psalm 5. It says, The Lord is always good. You may want to circle that word always. He is always good. He's always loving and kind. And his faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. So today I want to look and take some time to look at the goodness of God because it's the goodness of God which is the basis for all our prayer. Now, if God was not a good God, you would have zero reason or... No motivation at all to pray. Now, the only reason there's any good in the world is because God is a good God. And because God is always good, we know five things about prayer. And when you understand how good God really is, you're going to enjoy prayer. So that it's not a duty, but it's a delight. Any time, friends, that prayer becomes a ritual or boring to you, it's because you don't understand how good God really is. Some people sometimes even say, Well, I don't think I love God enough. Actually, friend, that is not your problem. Your problem is that you don't understand how much God loves you and how good God is to you. And everything in your life is a gift. God's goodness. So let's look at five implications of the goodness of God in your life and how that will change the way you pray from now on. Firstly, because God is always good, number one, God's long term plans for my life will always be good. God's long term plans for my life will always be good because God is always good. Now, people say, is there anything that God can't do? Well, yeah, there are quite a few things that God can't do. He can't deny himself. He can't be evil. He can't force anyone to freely accept him. Force freedom is a contradiction of terms. God is good by nature. So God's plans for my life will always be good. Now this principle is seen here, even though this verse was originally speaking to God's people as he was upending their lives, upending their dreams, and disrupting their plans. It's often misquoted. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know what plans I have for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you. Not plans to hurt you. My plans will give you a hope and a good future. And when you call to me and pray to me, I will listen to you. So that verse, friends, has application if you are in Christ. Your future absolutely has a hope and not despair. It's for welfare and not calamity. Now, we've covered this many times. Friends, you as an individual are not an accident. There is a purpose for your life derived from the mind of God. Now, there are accidental parents in this world. I know that. But there are not accidental children. Now, your parents may not have planned you, but God did, and he wants you alive, and he has a plan for your life. So you say, how do I know God's plan? Well, the more you pray, the more you read God's word and listen to him, the more you're going to understand God's plan for your life. Now, he says... I have good plans for you in that verse not plans to hurt you to give you a hope to give you a good future and when you call to me and pray to me I will listen to you Now sometimes we do not see or know how to pray as we ought However we do know one all important fact and here it is in Romans 8:28 We know that God causes everything to work together for the good, there's that word again, of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now, notice that verse doesn't begin with, oh, we hope, um, we wish, "we," but rather, we know. It's a strong imperative. Actually, we have a promise in the next verse founded upon the character of our Creator. So, if you would say, God, I give you my life. And Jesus, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to fulfill the purposes that you made me for. Then this verse is for you. It's not a promise for everyone in the world. Everything is not working together for good for everybody in the world. That's pretty obvious. Everything is, is though, working together for good for those who give it all to God. Let me try and give you the best rendering of that literally from the Greek. It would say this. For those who love God, the Lord sovereignly weaves the strands of every circumstance, every influence, every atom or idea they encounter for the purpose of creating moral good within them those he has called to join his redemptive plan for the world. So if God has called you to join his redemptive plan, that verse is for you. But notice, the purpose is to create moral good within you. So to accomplish his plan, in each of us, God orchestrates all things, all things, including disappointments, and disasters, and disease, and death, and decay so that the world's destructive designs then actually become tools in the hand of the almighty to accomplish his ends now does this mean that all things in the world are good well clearly not the world as you already know can be an unfair it can be a brutal place it can be shocking it can be demoralizing and it contains people who relentlessly oppose God's will and his purposes. Nevertheless, though, friends, as evil tries to destroy, the Lord turns the world's destruction to our gain. Now, someone may say, well, if God can even use evil for his purposes, does this mean that he, he brings evil upon his people? Never. God is not the author of sin. Only good things come from a good God. He didn't bring evil into the world. We did that through sin. And as a race, we perpetuate suffering through continued sin. The Lord merely allows humanity and the world to continue living as they choose, but never beyond his sovereign control over creation. So the destiny of each believer is what Paul earlier called good, which he further defines as being conformed to the image of his son. Now, you know very well, and I'm sure you've taught this to your children and your grandchildren, the story of Joseph in the Bible, where his brothers sold him into slavery. Now, that that's beyond abuse. But he ends up being the second in command in Egypt. And years later, he confronts his brother and he sees this in Genesis 50:20. Joseph speaking, he says, your plan was to hurt me. Maybe you know some people in your life whose plan it was to hurt you. But then he says, God turned your evil plan into a good plan. You may want to circle that word good again. That's a third occurrence. To save the lives of many people. So the experiences in Joseph's life taught him that God's plan will eventually bring good from evil for those, not everybody, but for those who trust him. Now, in that account, we see God brought good from, let's be clear about that, let's just not run over that, from the brother's evil. That was un- undecidedly evil. From Potiphar's wife, false accusation. Yeah, he lost his job too. And then you have the disappointment of the cupbearer's neglect. And then on top of that, the whole place faced seven years of famine. So when things are hard down here, remember Joseph. And ask yourself, do you trust God enough to wait patiently for him to bring good out of bad situations? Maybe you're going through one right now. But as Joseph learned, God can even overrule people's evil intentions to bring about his intended result. He intended for Joseph to end up where he was, but there was a path he had chosen for him. And we are to learn, the scriptures say, from the examples of those in the Bible to instruct us and to encourage us. Now the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, it says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. Friends, as we think about the early church, Suffering was an expected reality for first century Christians. And likewise for us, life this side of heaven will include disappointment and and difficulties and suffering. And Paul well understood the meaning of suffering for the faith. He learned to rejoice though because he knew that even in the middle of all of this suffering, this suffering was going to produce perseverance, stickability the ability to face difficulties without giving in, which is a critically needed character trait for Christians. He says this in Romans 5.3, so that we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Man, that sounds masochistic. Why? For we know that they are good. So you want to circle that word again? Good for us. They help us learn patient endurance so for christians in all ages suffering does not negate the reality of god's love for his people and his goodness but it provides us as the occasion to affirm and to apply it now this character quality of perseverance or endurance is not an end in itself you can see that in first peter chapter one verse six and seven it's one step in the process that eventually strengthens our hope. So God is much more interested in your repeated patterns of behavior or your character, what you become, than your immediate comfort. Because you're not taking your car to heaven. You're not taking your career to heaven. You're certainly not taking your cash to heaven. or You're not taking your china to heaven. You are taking your character to heaven. So the only thing that you're going to take to heaven, God wants to grow and develop here on earth before he takes you into eternity. How does he do that? Through all his refining trials. But would you write this down somewhere, maybe at the side of your outline? Everything God does in my life, he does for my good. So that's the first thing we've learned about God, that God's plans for my life, and his will for my life are good. Because God is a good God. He's the author of goodness. He doesn't have bad plans for your life. And the more you get to know God, the more you understand his good plans. Number two. The second pillar of God's goodness. God will always give me what I need, not what I deserve. God will always give me what I need, and not what I deserve. Now, friends, if you and I got what we deserved, we wouldn't even be here. Look at this psalm, Psalm 103, verse 10 and 12. He, God, has not treated us as we deserve for our sins or paid us back for our wrongs. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ paid for all your sins and all your wrongs. And if you had to pay for your own sins and wrongs, then why did Jesus have to die on the cross? That's called double jeopardy. He's already paid for them, if you put your trust in Jesus. Now, in his goodness, the Bible goes on to say, he's taken away our sins and removed them as far as the east is from the west. Now, I like that. He says, from the east to the west, because there is no east to the west. There's a North Pole and there's a South Pole. There's a definite point for those, but not east to west. So God takes your sins and my sins and he blots them out with the blood of Jesus. And I need that. I don't deserve it. And the Bible says then he puts them in the deepest part of the sea. And metaphorically speaking, he puts up a sign, no fishing. So if God has forgiven you, friend, you need to forgive yourself. Let me make this clear. God forgives you not because you're good. It's not based on your goodness. Actually, he will not reject you because he is good. Now, not only does God forgive your sin when you come and say, God, I ask you to show me mercy and to forgive my sin, he forgives you and beautifully he welcomes you back. This is exactly the opposite of the way it happens with humans. When you hurt someone or when you sin against them, do they want to receive you back? Heck no. Absolutely not. They want to be standoffish. They want to be distant. They want to push you away. And they want to reject you. They don't want to receive you. But friends, God is unlike people. Now, some of you know the sad experience of being rejected by a parent. I know how that feels. But here's the good news. God can take that place in our life. And he can fill that void. And he can heal completely that hurt. He can direct us to those who may take that role of a mother or a father for us. And his love is sufficient for all our needs. Notice this next verse. Psalm 27 verse 10 through 13 starts saying, Even if my father and mother abandon me. you know, Words have probably been spoken like, You're no longer my son. You're no longer my daughter. Get out of my life. I don't want to see you again. You've hurt me too much or whatever. Even if my mother and father abandon me, The Lord will hold me close. Do you hear the tenderness in that verse? My enemies are waiting for me to fall. They want me to fail. They know I'm a sinner, they know I'm imperfect. Yet, the Bible says, I remain confident that I'll see the goodness, there's that word again, of the Lord while I'm living here in the world. Now, because God is always good, he will never, never reject you, even when you grieve him. By not doing as he's told you to do. When you confess your sin, you can come back to him and he will receive you. He won't reject you. Just come back humbly. Now, if you make a big mistake, friend, I've got good news for you. God is a God of the second chance. Why? Because he's a good and gracious father. Notice this verse in Hebrews 4:15 and 6 through 16. The writer says, Jesus understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same temptations we do. Yet, he did not sin. Why? Because he's perfect. So, there's an implication for this. Let us come boldly with confidence to the throne of our gracious God. He's talking about prayer there. There we will receive, what? His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it so how do i know that god is good because everything he does in the world is good god's plan for my life will always be good he's not going to steer me in the wrong direction (laughs) i steer myself in the right wrong direction but he certainly won't and second god always gives me what i need not what i deserve so when i need forgiveness he doesn't give me judgment because that's what jesus did for me and you on the cross So here's the third aspect of God's goodness. Because God always is good, it almost sounds like heresy at first blush. But listen carefully. It's right out of the scripture. Number three. God puts my good above his own. God puts my good above his own. So because God is always, always good, he puts my good even above his own good. And friends, this is the heart of the gospel. This is the good news. Because Jesus willingly gave his life for his sheep on our behalf as their substitute. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 14 through 15, I am the good shepherd, circle the word good. I know my own sheep and they know me. And I will sacrifice my life for my sheep. What's going on here is his, his death gives us life. And this is what makes our faith different from every other storyline in the world. God says this, you sinned and you deserve punishment. You deserve to get to hell. But I'm a good God and I love you. I'm also holy and just. So somebody's going to pay for your sins. So here's the deal. I'll do it. I'll pay for your sins, I will send my son to earth as Jesus Christ and he will die for your sins. The Bible says in John chapter 15 verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So this is the gospel. This is the king sacrificing himself for the peasants. This is the ultimate expression of love. The shepherd dies for the sheep. Here's the mind-blowing thing. Not only did Jesus pay for your sins, that's amazing enough as it is right there, but there's a great exchange. And what he does is he takes our sin and puts it on Jesus, and he takes Jesus' righteousness and he puts it on us, inside us. It's like a blood transfusion. This is the great exchange. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then, in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Friends, that's the best news in the world ever. That's why we make this message known. There's nothing more important than that. Everyone needs to know there's an exchange available out there. The Bible says in Romans 4.25, Jesus died for our sins and he rose again, that's at Easter, to make us right with God. We're now right standing, filling us with God's goodness. You may want to circle that word, goodness again. Now, what in the world does what we've just looked at have to do with prayer? Well, friends, it has everything to do with prayer. Because if you don't understand what I've just said, you'll never understand prayer. This is amazing. What God did for you at the cross makes prayer possible. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, Since God did not spare or withhold even his own son, but gave Christ up for us all, won't he now also give us everything else we need? Do you see the logic of that verse? That when Jesus Christ died for you on the cross, he solved your biggest problem right there. Any other problem in your life is small potatoes. There's nothing you can't bring to God in prayer. If he loved you enough to die for you, he loves you enough to answer your prayer. So, number one, God is good, so he always has a good plan for your life. Number two, God is good because he always gives you what you need and not what you deserve. And number three, God is good because he puts my good ahead of his own. And this leads us to our fourth truth about prayer. And it's this. God does not say yes to every request. God does not say yes to every request. Some of our confusion with prayer is that God may not answer our prayer in line with our plans or schedule. Actually, there's nothing in the Bible that says everything you ask for, you're going to get, no matter how self-centered or off-base it is. Now, God does not say yes to every prayer request that I make, or the Pope makes, or Billy Graham makes, you name it. Now, at those times, we may be tempted to think that God is intentionally withholding something from us. But actually, in reality, he's already given us the greatest gift of all. So when we are most tempted to doubt God's love for us, we ought to express instead our love for him. And this is the practical application of Romans 8.28, trusting that God is working all things together for our good, for those that love him. Now, no loving parent would ever give a a child everything they ask for, right? They'd be spoiled. And you are certainly not a vending machine. And neither is God your genie. He's not your magic wand. You just have to add Jesus' name and poof, it'll happen. He is not your vending machine. A vending machine, last time I checked, gives you stuff that's not good for you. And God will never give you something that's not good for you. But what about the stuff that I think is good for me? And he says, no. Friends, remember, God always answers every single prayer. Not always the way you want it, or I want it, but you will always get an answer. Now, there are four ways that God answers. Yes, no, wait, and you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) When the request is not right, he'll say no. When the timing's not right, he'll say slow. When you're not ready, he'll say, hang on, you need to grow. And when, the re, when your request's right and your timing's right, he'll say, go! Each one is an answer from God. Luke 11, verse 11 through 13. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish to eat, would you give them a snake instead? Of course not. Or if they ask for an egg, would you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So... If you, as sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, God delights to give the gift of himself, which is the Holy Spirit, Colossians 1.27. In fact, he wants nothing more than for us to do what is right, and you will not withhold anything to help us live righteously. Now, Jesus' parable makes a point we can depend upon God to answer our prayers by arguing from the lesser, i.e. the humanly parent, to the heavenly father. Our heavenly father gives his children what is good for them, not what harms them. Now, sometimes when we pray, we make such self-centered requests, we don't really know what we're asking for. Like Salome the mother of James and John, to the disciples. She sort of saddled up with the boys and she made a request to Jesus. And Jesus just flat out tells her in Matthew 20, Jesus replies, you don't realize what you're asking for. And friends, you and I have limited perspective too, and we don't see the whole picture. And I think many times God wants to say that to you and I, you don't realize what you're asking for. At that point, when God says no, You need to just go, okay, I trust a good, good father more than I do my own judgment. Now, it's very easy to trust God's goodness when things are going great. But the test is, can you trust God when things aren't working out? When you're not seeing the changes you expect to see? When you're not getting the answers? When it seems dark? When you're lonely or you're feeling afraid? Then... When things aren't going good in your life, can you still say you're a good, good father? That's who you are. So the test of faith is not how high you jump when things are going good in your life. The test of faith is how faithfully you walk, how straight you walk, how consistently you walk when everything is unsettled. Am I going to trust you when things don't work out the way I envisage them? Remember Job, when he'd lost everything, and that included his family, his home, his business, his health. Look what he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God says, remember, remember this friends, my thoughts are completely different from yours. Which is why he doesn't answer the way I want him to many times. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. So just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, often I think, The Lord says to me, Ian, you're praying at this level, level one, and I'm thinking at your life at a completely different level because I want the very best for your life, even more than you do. Will you trust me? Number five, last one. Finally, because God is always good, he invites us to live with him forever. He invites us to live with him forever. So, God wants to show you His goodness, not just whilst you're here on earth, but for eternity. 2 Thessalonians 2 16 through 17 says this Our Lord Jesus Christ, and God our Father, who loves us, has given us by His grace, that's His goodness, an everlasting encouragement and a good hope. You may want to circle that word, good. Heaven's called on. Everlasting encouragement, because it never ends. It'll last forever. May this encourage your heart, he says, even when you're in pain, and give you strength for every good thing that you do and say. And Psalm 23 is a beloved verse. And the last verse of this, verse 6 says this, Surely goodness, that's God's goodness, and love will follow me all the days of my life. Then, the son adds, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That, my friend, is a good plan. Why are we covering this at the beginning section of 40 days of prayer? Because until you're absolutely convinced that God is always good, and that you will even use challenging circumstances to bring good in your life, your prayers are going to be anemic, and passionless. On the other hand, when you realize that no matter how I feel, no matter what it looks like, God is for me. He's not against me. He wants what's good for me more than even I want that goodness for myself, what I think is good. And God knows what will make me happy more than I know it myself. If that's the foundation of all your prayers, now your prayers will become passionate and purposeful and they're going to point to them and you have power in your prayer. Friends, our country needs a spiritual awakening. Our nation needs a revival. Our nation needs God. Friends, things happen when people start to pray together. And here are two practical verses that we can pray this week, every day. Lord... Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Perhaps that's social media. If you spend as much time checking in with God as you do checking in with your Facebook, you'd be a whole lot stronger. Instead, he says, let me live by your word. You need to get in a small group. We're going to learn God's word together. If you're not in one yet, let us know about it and we can help place you. Just write us at info at newhope.net.nz. I want to obey your principles. Please renew my life with your goodness. And then you make this your prayer. Bring us back to you. You can pray that every day. God, we're ready to come back. Give us a fresh start. So as your pastor, I'm asking you to pray three things every day this week. Pray, God, revive my heart. Revive my passion to meet with your people in a small group every week, and revive our church family, we ask it in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, you are a good God, a good, good Father. Even though in this world we all feel the effects of the fall, you are still a good, good God, working on the plan from paradise lost in the beginning to paradise gained at the end. And we're in the middle chapters. We've all had prayers, Father, that weren't answered the way we wanted them to be answered. Yet, you are still a good, good Father. Because you know what's best for us. Help us to remember that your plan for our lives is always good. And so we choose your plan, not ours. Help us to remember that you will always give us what we need, not what we deserve. Thanks for that, Lord. And thank you that you not only forgive us, but you'll pour your goodness into us, your righteousness from your son, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you amazingly put our good above your own good, that you did that through the cross by dying for your people. Father, we're so overwhelmed that you didn't even spare your own son. So certainly you'll give us what else we need. And Lord, even though we don't always understand it, we thank you that you don't always say yes to every prayer request in the time frames that we think are good. Father, we know and acknowledge that your goal is not to make our lives necessarily easy, but to grow us up. And we realize that your thoughts are not our thoughts, and your ways are higher than ours. And a lot of stuff we don't understand and we won't understand this side of eternity Father, thank you that you've invited us to live with you forever in heaven. And today, friends, if you've never opened up your life to Jesus Christ, why don't you say, Jesus Christ, I want to accept your gift of heaven. I want to accept your gift of forgiveness. I want to accept your gift of new life. So Jesus Christ, I want a relationship with you. I want to put my trust in you. I pray that in these days together, you will revive my heart and all of the hearts that are listening to your word today. You will revive our small groups, all of them, and you'll revive our church family. I pray this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you as we sing this next song.